Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at the life of an interesting person. And when you hear of this account, sometimes we can turn our ears off thinking, oh, that's something we teach in kids' church. But the truth is, this is a powerful account of an encounter that Jesus had in the book of Luke. And it's the account of the ten lepers. And we're going to kind of just walk through this and pull some takeaways from it that will be transformational. You guys hear me talk on and on about thanksgiving, giving thanks, gratitude. Because this is a powerful weapon that is not utilized to the full degree of what God, really, he has given this to us. And it will break things in your life. It will do new, bring new seasons into your life. And, and we get, we, we think about Thanksgiving. Oh, it's a holiday here. We're going to celebrate. No, I want you to today open up, kind of close your mind to what you've thought about Thanksgiving and just say, Holy Spirit, come and teach me what it is to give thanks. Teach me how to use it in my life. And I'll say that, I, you know, I've counseled through, done personal counseling with a lot of people, and what I'm saying right now does not apply to the ones I'm currently <laughs> counseling, just so I say that. But in the past, I have met with people who week after week after week sit in the chair and tell me the same depressing story week after week after week, and it doesn't matter what I say, what truth from God's word I bring every week. It's the same. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I'm like, man, there's really nothing more I can do here for you. You've determined to kind of sit in your life frustration. And so what I have to bring is the power of gratitude. And when, what it does is it transforms your mind, it transforms your thinking to where now you're open to a new way of living. And the person that is on a journey out of their life difficulties and frustrations, when they engage in these things and when they take the word of God and they apply it to their lives, it's amazing how quickly change and transformation can come to a life because they do that. And so today... I want you to go into your word and turn to Luke chapter 17. And I want you to lay aside your preconceived ideas about what you hear when you hear Thanksgiving, when you hear gratitude. Luke 17, we're going to start in verse 11. Now it happens as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, he wasn't just taking Jesus aside. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. 
No way. With a loud voice, he glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is not just a a nice account of a guy that returned to give thanks to Jesus. I want you to get the context for what is happening in this passage. First of all, at the very first verse, it says, Jesus passed through the midst of Samaria. Now, if you don't know the significance of Samaria, let me just tell you, there was great conflict between, between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. They had had, they had, had disagreements about where to worship. Um, they started, the Samaritans had married people outside of the Jewish faith, and they were in conflict over that to the degree that many Jewish people would walk around Samaria and avoid it instead of walking through it. And here we have Jesus saying, no way, I'm not about that. I'm going through Samaria. Jesus wasn't afraid of Samaria. Jesus is not about casting people out. Jesus is about bringing people in. And so from the very beginning here, we see Jesus saying, nope, I have come not just, this is the power of this, is that not just for the Jews, all men may come to me. And I'm here, Jesus, the, the years he spent in his ministry were all about teaching them what the kingdom of God truly should look like. And so when Jesus does radical things like walk through this town that everybody else would walk around, like talking to a woman, no less, in Samaria... This is a radical person. And you wonder why all the religious people wanted to betray him, wanted to try to entrap him, because he was not given into their religious ways. He was a little radical. It's interesting how the disciples that Jesus brought around him, so many were outcasts. Those that followed him were people that were outcasts. A little bit, it reminds me a little bit of King David in the Old Testament, who was really a picture of the Christ to come, a prophetic picture. And what did King David attract? A whole bunch of outcasts. This is what Jesus does. He says, I'll take those that nobody else wants. I want them. I'm their creator. I have come to die for them. I want them. Jesus' heart is for Samaria. And it's interesting. We just talked um, last week in Petersburg. We were talking about the Good Samaritan. When the religious lawyer 
who knows the law of God, asks the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus? I would like for you to tell me specifically. That way I know who I have to love, and I don't have to do any more than that. And he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus proceeds to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The man that was beaten, and first comes a priest, and, and then comes a, 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 a Levite, all of them operating in the religious order, and then comes the Samaritan, and he's the one that helps. Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. His heart is for the outcast. His heart is for the one nobody wants. And then we are a Pentecostal, our foundation as a Pentecostal church is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses where? Just in Jerusalem? No. In Judea? No. In all of Samaria and then the other, uttermost parts of the world. In that verse of promise, Jesus puts Samaria in there. <laughs> Jesus is saying, let them come to me. You religious people are trying to push them away, and I'm trying to draw them in. And so this is where we find Jesus when this account happens, passing through Samaria. And so not only is this an issue of the Samaritans and Samaria, this is also an issue of a person that has leprosy. Now today, we, it's a treatable thing, but back then it was not. And what does it say? That they were afar off calling out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Why were they afar off? They were considered unclean, and they could not come in touch with anybody. And so they lived in their own colony, in their own place with one another, and they, if they were to travel into town, what were they yelling out the whole time as they passed through the streets? Unclean! Unclean! Can you imagine? The only way I can even begin to think about what life like would have looked like with this is the little bit that we may have experienced with COVID, right? We had to isolate from one another. And if you had COVID, you sure better know, everybody knows, yeah, I got COVID. Everybody stay away from me, right? It's the only kind of idea I could have of what this might look like. Yeah, I know that that was temporary. For the life of the leper, there's no hope here. There's no hope of cure. There's no hope that my life will change. I've been cut off from my family. Any businesses I may have had, I've been cut off from that, and now I must just live with the other lepers. And so here are these 10 lepers afar off calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And here's Jesus' response, right? He doesn't say anything to them except go. Show yourselves to the priest. Why did they need to show themselves to the priest? If you read in Leviticus chapter 14, the laws for the person that had leprosy, if they were healed, what they would have to do to be cleansed from their healing was pretty, I mean, there's like a whole chapter on things they had to do. And it first began by showing themselves to the priest, 
And having the priest examine them to see, is the leprosy really gone? And then the amount of offerings that they would have to offer, I mean, just thing after thing after thing that they would have to do before they were declared cleansed. And so Jesus knows this, and he says, go, show yourself to the priest. And, and in that moment, they still had leprosy. It says that as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. I, I, I thought, if, how often am I waiting for this miracle to happen in my life? And when I haven't seen it begin to happen yet, I, I get a bad attitude maybe, or I lose faith. I get impatient. When the whole time the Lord is just saying, you need to keep on following me because my healing will come as you, my miracle will come as you go. And so it's, what we're talking about here is in the waiting. In the waiting is so important. And here, what were these guys doing in the waiting? They hadn't been cleansed yet. They were obeying the, the, obe, obeying the command of Jesus, go to the priest. They could have said, I, Jesus, we still have leprosy. There's no point in us going to the priest. No. They obeyed the master. They went to the priest, and they were cleansed. And so how we respond is so important. And what we do while we wait is so important. They could have disobeyed, and they would have lost out on their cleansing. If they didn't see immediate results, they could have been like, well, that didn't work. I'm not going all the way to the priest. Right? And so what we do with the word of God that is given to us is important. And so off they go. They are cleansed. And one of them, it says, when he saw, all of a sudden it's like, oh, look. My fingers that were rippled with this disease are, there's no more. He sees that he's cleansed, and he comes back. And just as loudly as he cried out for mercy, he cried out with glorification to Jesus. The person that is forgiven much loves much, right? The person that is forgiven much loves much. And this man, he doesn't just loudly glorify God. He falls on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. One of them came back. And as he comes back and gives thanks, what he's doing is this it's really this picture of what is to come with the Christ. This, this giving of thanks, it's the same thing that Jesus does at the Last Supper. Whenever we take communion, we declare it. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. Jesus took the cup and gave thanks. It's the same word. And it's Eucharisteo. You've heard me say this. 
It's the word that our Eucharist, the cup and the bread, the Eucharist, it's, it's what it's derived from, Eucharisteo. It's the giving of thanks. And so th- what the connection is, is that every time I offer up thanks to the Lord, I am connecting with the body and blood of Jesus Christ because he is the source of all that I am thankful for. It's powerful. It's powerful. You don't have to celebrate the Lord's Supper with the cup and the bread every time. Throughout my day, day by day, I give thanks to the Lord for little things, for big things. And as I do it, I am celebrating the table of the Lord. I am celebrating the death and resurrection of the Christ. Because for all the things, he has been the giver of all gifts. And every time I offer up thanks, I enter in to the remembrance of Christ. And the interesting thing about this word is that it is actually a derivative of the Greek word kara, which means joy. This is powerful. If you need joy in your life, you give thanks. To give thanks, it's coming from the word joy. I'm so depressed. I have such a bad day. I'm so tired. I have such a hard life. Give thanks, and you release joy into your life. (laughs) Give thanks. When you don't feel it is when you should give thanks. You don't wait for joy to come. You, it, you begin to release the joy as you, when you don't want to, you give thanks. When you'd rather sit around or call your friend and, and talk about how horrible life is, you should just begin in that moment to release thanksgiving, and you will begin to release joy in your life. You say, well, that just sounds ideal and a little too easy. All I know is what the word says. And I know, I know from personal experience, when I least want to give thanksgiving, when I am the most, when I would rather just have a pity party, if I will say, come on, Cammie, buck it up and do it, if I will with sincerity of heart begin just to, it doesn't matter, like, Lord, that's a beautiful tree. Oh, look at that flower. Oh, there's this flying by. I mean, I'll just begin to do this, just to begin to kind of prime the pump of thanksgiving. It's really a weapon for you to use. I have, I had to learn to really, here's the thing, the Bible says we're all born into the sin, into sin, right? And we need to, we need Jesus to come and and cause us to come alive in him and, and take that sin nature. Every one of us, every one of us is born into sin. It's not in our our nature to be people of thanksgiving. It's in our nature, our sin nature, to be complainers and whiners. It just is. And so I had to really work, now some more than others, we all have our own sin nature where some of us are more than others. I know there are just some naturally cheerful, happy people, but I would say they're the minority. For the most part, Our sin nature means that we have to train ourselves in thanksgiving. 
And so I had to work very hard and be very intentional about being a person of thanks. I have, I have a journal at home where I would just, every day I would list things. Doesn't matter. It could be little things, big things. I was determined to find something to be thankful for. I have a list on my phone so that when I don't have that journal, I can just as I'm, you know, getting frustrated in line, I can start to sit there and just type things I'm giving thanks for. And when I don't have that, and I'm just walking around, I'll just begin to just give thanks. Lord, look at that. That's a beautiful moon today. I had to train myself. And now, listen, and just because you think, oh yeah, I've gotten good at this, just when you think that, you become like my garden. Who after like a week of disregarding it and ignoring it, all the weeds took over. And it's no different with us. We lay aside some of these practices for just a little while, and the weeds in us begin to be... Suddenly, I find, oh, where'd all those bad attitudes come from? I've gotten awfully critical lately. I've ceased to give thanks. And I have to get back to my journaling. I have to get back to daily making it a practice to give thanks. It's a remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he has, when it feels like I'm not seeing the gifts, he is a giver of good gifts and his grace has been poured out upon me day by day by day. And so I give thanks and I release joy. I've said to you before that I used to get frustrated with my husband because he would when I would get tired and overwhelmed, especially when I had little kids, he would say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'd be like, go away. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Why? Because he's calling me to joy. And to be called to joy means I've got, it's not that the Lord hasn't given me joy. It's that I haven't allowed it to be released in my life. And so I need to start giving thanks instead when I'm picking up the endless Cheerios, I remember for some reason that specifically. I mean, the Legos all over the floor were also irritating, but I would, it was like never-ending Cheerios to pick up. And I would just get frustrated, and I was like, yes, thank you for Cheerios, Lord. It keeps my children, you know, busy and occupied. I just had to literally begin. If I wanted the joy of the Lord to be my strength, I had to begin to engage in thanksgiving. It's the avenue through which the joy comes, is thanksgiving, the giving of thanks. And so this man, what he has done is he has come back. He's already encountered the power of the cross, the power of the resurrected life of Christ through the giving of thanks. And I love, you know, after he does this, there's just that one statement, and he was a Samaritan. It's like, do I need to say anything more? He was a Samaritan, which leads us to, and, and Jesus asked the question, wait a minute, where's the other nine? Is the only one that came back this foreigner, which leads me to believe the other nine were Jewish. If he's saying it's the foreigner that came back. And so Jesus, he's like, were there not any return to give glory except this foreigner. He's beginning to elevate this man now. This foreigner, he, 
you Jewish people think that you have it, that you're the privileged ones. You're not. My favorite right now is on this foreigner. And Jesus says to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Wow. Here's, here's the, the powerful thing about this right here. Go back up to verse 14. When Jesus, when, when they call out to Jesus for healing, all Jesus says is, go show yourself to the priest. To this man, though, that returned and gave thanks, he adds to him, and he says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This word well here, the, the word that it comes from is called sozo. And you may have heard this. A lot of churches will have sozo ministry. And what it is is a ministry of healing. And, and this word, what it's talking about, more than just a healing for a physical ailment, this is a healing that is, has to do with your overall well-being. It has to do with your salvation. It has to do with being protected. It has to do with being delivered from anything that might be a bondage for you, that might hold you captive. It means to be made whole. And so Jesus says to this man, your faith has made you well. I haven't just healed you of leprosy. I have delivered you. I have taken, can you imagine, after being living the life of a leper in, in isolation and rejection, to be rejected? And how, can you imagine what it would do mentally to you to have to go about declaring, I'm unclean, stay away from me. Can you imagine what he would be emotionally? I mean, we would say, you need to go to some therapy now. That's what we would say to people. And Jesus is saying, I am just touching you physically. I'm touching you mentally. I'm touching your soul. I'm healing you emotionally. You've been broken by this leprosy. I am making you whole. That is so-so. And that is what this man received. Why? He came back and gave thanks. He came back and gave thanks. And he received what the other nine did not receive. They all were made, they were all healed, all of them, but they were not all made well. The one that gave thanks. And so today, the power of thanksgiving, it's first of all, it's this gateway for your well-being. The, the leprosy, that was a bondage for them, right? They could not go about in freedom because of it. And, and everybody can end up carrying their own bondage, their own, their own thing that keeps them from being able to walk about in freedom. Thanksgiving is a doorway for freedom. 
and for walking in freedom. It's really amazing what God has put into our hands to utilize that we don't. We, we think that we're just waiting for him to deliver, and the whole time he's like, I have given this to you. I've given thanksgiving to you. And if you would use it, it would, you would be able to step into greater freedom, greater well-being. Because what the person that is not a person of thanksgiving and gratitude is a person that is complaining, does have a bad attitude. And what those produce are toxic thoughts, toxicity in your spirit and your emotions. It just feeds negativity, right? Because where there is not thanks, there is not joy. And so the choice we have is, are we feeding in ourselves toxicity? Because if we are, you will not be well. The toxic person is not well physically, is not well mentally, is not well emotionally. If you have toxic emotion thinking thoughts and you're not giving thanksgiving, it's going to affect your well-being. But the person that immediately says, it doesn't matter what's happening, I'm going to engage in thanksgiving and enjoy, it's like you're just purging toxins, right? I, there are things that we do physically to, tox purgen, to purge toxins, you know, like drink water, drink lemon water. There's herbs that will, like, detoxify your body. Uh, my daughter-in-law, you all know her story. She just got lab reports of her body being full of metals and parasites and herbicides. And so she's begun to take these herbal supplements to detoxify her body. And there, so there are things that we do physically to detox ourselves. I remember I've had one massage that my mother bought for me. And so we went to it, and, and the, the lady says, do you want, like, a relaxing massage, or do you want to detox? Now, we're talking about me. I want to detox! <laughs> Let's get them out of there. In the middle of it, I'm like, what are you doing? You had one massage. Why aren't you just enjoying this? She was about to kill me. And, and so there are things we do physically to get rid of toxins. Thanksgiving is like that. It flushes out spiritually, emotionally, mentally toxins, leaving you to being well and to being whole. So it is a doorway, a gateway for thanks for well-being. The second thing that it is a doorway for is his presence. This is so powerful. In Second Chronicles, we're going to go back to chapter 5, and you know Solomon had just built the temple for God's presence, and they had just brought in the Ark of the Covenant to reside in the temple which is representative of God's presence. And when that happened, in verse 13, it said, Indeed, it came to pass, when the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound, that's the power of unity, one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. 
And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. They were offering up thanksgiving and praise. And as they did that, the manifest presence of the Lord fills the place to where they can't even, all the, men, all of the instruments would be shut down, all the singers would be shut down. And when that kind of presence comes, you can't even stand under that. Now, here's the thing. This is, that's the Old Testament, what happened in the Old Testament. And that's always a pattern for what is to come. We live under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Here's what it means. In 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price, Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In Colossians, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Everybody say, Christ in me. Let's get a little more excited about it. The living Christ is in us. Christ in me. The hope of glory. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is why worship is so important. This is why a lifestyle of thanksgiving is so important. If you want the manifest presence of God to be inside and flood in, in a deeper, broader, crazier way, because who knows what will happen, you live a life of thanksgiving. It opens up the floodgates for his presence to manifest in such a greater measure that the people around you are like, what is up with you? You are glowing and radiant. What is it? It's that, the, that this living presence is residing in you and your life of thanksgiving is releasing it out. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's also a door of multiplication. Darren just preached last week a message on multiplication. And isn't it interesting? We said how Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. He does it again when he is teaching to the crowds. And, and they need to be fed. And what does Jesus do? He takes the loaves. And when he had given thanks, it was distributed. And there was leftover 12 baskets and of the fragrance of the barley loaves, which were left over. This was over 5,000 people that they were feeding. And the multiplication came after the giving of thanks. You need to see multiplication in your life. It won't come 
through getting frustrated that you're not seeing it. It'll only come as you begin to give thanks for what you have in your hand right now. It's wonderful what you're believing for to come. But what do you have in your hand now? If you're not giving thanks for what you have now, you will never, you can get all of the prophetic words about your future that you want if you do not give thanks for what you have and you do not do well with what you have. It's really, this is a partnership. And there are things we engage in that releases the workings of God in those things. And the giving thanks for what you have is one of them. Multiplication comes through the giving of thanks. And so these are powerful things that Thanksgiving opens up for us. And so the question that we ask, oh yes, we need to be, have a lifestyle of giving thanks. Well, when, when is a good time to give thanks? Does anybody think they might know the answer to that? That's right. David, he did it in the midst of unbelievers. It's like easy to do it in here, right? Oh, we all know each other. We're all serving Jesus together. David in 2 Samuel says, Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. So among the people that are not Christ followers, I will give thanks. When you're dry and when you're hungry, Psalm 107, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. I love how that is phrased at the beginning. Oh, that men, it really shows this longing. Oh, guys, if you would just do this, if you would just give thanks to the Lord, he will satisfy that longing heart. You're hungry for something. I don't know what it is. I'm missing something in life. He will satisfy that if you give thanks. And so, again, it's when you least want to do it, when you least feel it, that you offer the thanks. At the midnight hour, you know, the midnight hour is pretty significant. There's activity that happens in the spiritual realm at the midnight hour. And all through the word, you see different things happening when? At the midnight hour. I'm just going to walk through a couple of them. David, he said, at midnight, I will rise to give thanks to thee because of righteous judgments. He's just rising at midnight because there's something that is like significant in the midnight hour of giving thanks. With the Israelites, they were trying to leave, to leave Egypt, right? And God is, is saying, at, the, at midnight, I'm going to come through the land, and all of the firstborn he, were taken, were killed at midnight. Ruth found her redemption at midnight. At midnight, 
She had gone, remembered, to Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. Her husband had died, and the next relative can redeem her and, and take care of her, and she becomes his wife. And so, so Ruth comes to the threshing floor where he is sleeping and lays down at his feet. And for some reason at midnight, something awakens him, and he turns over and he sees her. And he says, yes, I will be your redeemer. She was redeemed in the midnight hour. At midnight, Paul and Silas are in jail. And what are they doing? But they're worshiping and praising and singing songs to the Lord. And at midnight, the place is shaken. And they are released, and a jailer is, and a, and a jailer is saved at the midnight hour. Deliverance comes at midnight for the shipmen as Paul is on the ship with them. Their deliverance from a tremendous physical storm happened at midnight. And the bridegroom comes at midnight. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold the bridegroom, our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. Midnight is significant. And things happen physically, but it's also representation of the midnight hour for you. And it's the hardest hour. But you know what? Like the minute after midnight, it is a new day. And we know that after a nighttime of weeping, what comes in that one minute after midnight? Joy. Joy. And so when is the time to give thanks? I would say the minute before morning. At midnight is not the time to say, I give up. I've been standing and waiting and believing, and I am, it's just too hard. It's midnight. I'm tired. It's dark. I give up. I can't see the light. I give up. No. The next minute is a new day. The next minute is morning. You got to wait. You got to stand and give thanks and bring in, usher in the new day. The midnight hour, more than any other time, is the time to give thanks. And you all quoted it at me in 1 Thessalonians. In everything, give thanks. I, I just can't say, this is, I, sometimes we hear this and we think, oh, that's a nice message, Thanksgiving. Listen, the next, the next sentence says, this is his will for you. What is the will of God for my life? Well, I don't know about anything else, but I do know you better be giving thanks because I know that's his will for your life. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is a command. It's not something that he, he's saying, if you are going to be a follower of Christ, you are going to be a person that gives thanks. And then in Philippians 4, I write this down, and I often pray it in the mornings. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you have had seasons of anxiety? I mean, I have. But I have to, in that anxiety, I have to look at it head on. And I have to say, no, I know that this has come to me, and, and the circumstances might even justify anxiety, but God doesn't want me to walk in the anxiety. 
And so I have to, when the anxiety comes, this is where this verse, be anxious for nothing. I have to repent, really, of my anxiety because this command tells me to not be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Now, does it end with that? You need to pray and no. There's a qualifier with thanksgiving. It's not enough to say, oh, God, would you, you know, fix my husband? No. He wants you then to begin to give thanks for the things about your husband while you're praying for your husband. Lord, thank you that, that he's a hard worker. Lord, thank you that, that he takes care of our kids and loves our kids. So even as you're praying for a specific area, you're giving thanks for all of the good. We tend to want to just complain and say, Lord, fix them, right? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Where there is anxiety, there is a way out. There is a way of peace there is a way of your heart and your mind being guarded by Christ. And it's through prayer with thanksgiving. And so you can complain about it and talk about it all you want, but you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Right? There's no other way around these things. You've got to do it. And so this morning... I'm going to ask if the worship team would come back up. And I would like us to conclude today with gratitude. Now, you can all be thankful. It's only 1130. You know he would still be going another half hour. I love this song. Do you know, this song is good. But when it gets to the part of, now... Don't get shy on me, right? How's that one go? Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. There's always something that happens in the congregational worship at that moment. Why is that? You're commanding your soul. Your spirit man is commanding your soul. And it's telling it what to do. And somehow your soul responds to that command. You're saying, soul, it doesn't matter how things are right now. There is inside of you this thing. It's like, it's like when Gideon is hiding out in the, in the wine press because the enemy is stealing all of their food and he's afraid. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Almighty oh, warrior. And he's looking around, you talking to me? Who are you talking to? I'm not, I'm the lowest of the low. I'm in the lowest clan. I'm the least of all. And you're calling me a mighty warrior? There is something in each of you. There is something in each of you. And when you begin to command it, it begins to obey. And too often we let our soul command. We let our bodies command. And your spirit man needs to be commanding. And today, as I want us to just recommit to being a person of thanksgiving.
But I also want to make sure, you know, when Jesus was addressing the leper and he says, your faith has made you well. Spiritually, you can be well physically, but spirit, you're spiritually, you could be dead, you can be sickly. And, and there's this thing that is a leprosy of the heart. And it's a diseased heart by sin. And there's only one person that can take the sin away from us and release wholeness and cleansing and new life, and that's Christ. And when he died on the cross, he took all of my sin, all of my disease, all of my sickness, and instead he gave me this resurrection life. And so we become like this leper that's been made whole. And so today, if you have never been made whole by Christ, I rejoice because last week, Heidi made that commitment to Christ. Amen? Okay, so all of heaven is rejoicing over that. So I think a little bit of rejoicing that Heidi has said yes to Christ. Right? New life. New life. The old man is gone. The new man has come in Christ Jesus. And so if you have never received Christ as your personal Savior, as we sing this today, all you have to do is say, here I am, Lord. I don't want to carry the sin. I don't want to carry the guilt I feel and the shame I feel. I don't want to carry that anymore. I give it to you and I receive the life that you have for me. And I say yes to be a follower of Christ. That's all you got to pray as we sing this today. And so can we just, we got, there's no rush here. There's just really no rush. Where do we have to be but at the feet of our Savior? Offering thanksgiving. Casting ourselves at his feet. I don't know about you, but I've been given much and I can't ever get away from what Christ has done for me it's taken my life and I'm not my own I'm Christ's because I can never repay I can never repay what he did all I can do is say here I am to offer you my love Jesus to offer you my thanksgiving Jesus to offer you my worship today Jesus and if that's your heart, will you just stand with me today and let's just one more time just begin to worship this beautiful Savior, this beautiful one that has taken the leprosy of our soul, taken the leprosy of our spirit and cleansed us and made us new and made us whole today in Jesus' name.